you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Fabian Isiesa, and you are listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is our very first episode for X-Force, Volume 1, Under the Gun, covering a period of X-Force from 1991 to 1992. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am your X-Force co-host, James Salerno. And James, you if you've been listening to our podcast, you'll know him from our Iron Man and Silver Surfer episodes. Uh, why did you choose X-Force, James? You wanted, You told me that you wanted to do this book. Yeah, because it's so, it's just so different from anything else that we've been doing. And I always had kind of a, like a special connection to a lot of these characters because this was right when I was first getting into comics. And the X-Men were always portrayed as kind of like, you know, like there were the older superheroes and X-Force was like, you know, like the younger, cooler, badder superheroes. Right. So there was just something about them that always appealed to me. And it must have appealed to a lot of other people, too, because these are some of like the greatest selling comic books of all time. So it's going to be interesting to kind of dig into that and, you know, see why why this was happening. Mm -hmm. Now, we could poke fun at Rob Liefeld like everybody else does, but I think that that usually is covered in any (laughs) online forum that you see. We don't really need to, to do that. But instead, let's look at what what worked for X-Force, why did this book sell millions of copies when it, when it first came out? What was Rob Liefeld's recipe for success? And, and really unpack that and see kind of why people should pay attention to it still today. Uh, and yeah, sure, we can point out some of the, the missteps in the, in the art and that kind of stuff. And every artist has bad panels, but there's also a ton of really cool stuff in here too. Yeah, and um, I think we always try to be pretty fair on this podcast. So yeah, we'll 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 criticize it where criticism is necessary. But you know, for the most part, we know we are going to stay stay positive here. And yeah. um, you know, the the thing about artwork, like when you're discussing artwork, this is why it's so interesting because there's it's it's mostly subjective, right? So right. everybody has their own opinions on what's good and what's not good, and that's what makes discussing this kind of stuff fun. But like when you look at the objective side of art, like the actual sales figures, it's like he's got it you know so yeah i don't i don't know if i have like a concrete answer for that but i mean it's going to be fun to try to i don't know just look into it and we'll see if we can we can uh come to some kind of conclusion here but yeah it's just it's just an interesting phenomenon the early 90s were just possibly like the biggest time for comic books since like the world war ii era and uh these were just selling this this comic in particular x-force number one uh which we start off with here sold uh I guess we should probably talk about uh, Spider-Man number one came out like a little bit before this. That sold 2.5 million copies. And that was uh, the greatest selling comic book in history up to that point. 
And then when this came out, it sold, depending on who you talk to, roughly four to five million. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like, how can we top each other? Like everything Marvel was doing was just like, it was like they were just printing money. And X-Men number one came out around this time as well. X-Men number one came out a couple months after this. And that one, I actually had a figure here. They say it was uh, 8 million. Oh, 186,500 copies. The so, best-selling comic books today are lucky to get a fraction of that number. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not unreal. even close. Yeah, but on the on the flip side, uh, we are in a in a world now where um, a, a comic book movie will hit a billion dollars in eleven days. Yeah, it's just it's just weird how this stuff works out. <laughs> and as as of this recording. Deadpool 2 is coming up pretty soon, and that's basically an X-Force movie because we have Cable and Domino, and I think I saw Shatterstar as well in there. So um, who knows how big that movie is going to be, but they're sure hyping it, and I think it's going to be a um, a blockbuster for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely go to see it. Uh, it's, yeah, it's coming out. We're recording this on a Tuesday night. It's coming out this Friday, and I think, Curtis, by the time you drop this, it'll probably already have been released. That's right. And I, I really wanted to talk to Rob Liefeld and interview him for this podcast, but he is a bit preoccupied, and I made the same <laughs> mistake when um, I released the Black Panther episode, that I waited too long um, before trying to contact these guys, and they just got inundated with interview requests and, and that kind of stuff for them because of the movie. So, But I yeah. was able to talk to Fabian Nicieza and uh, Mark Pasella, who takes over the penciling duty after Rob leaves. Um, so I'll intersperse clips from those interviews throughout this episode and then release the full interviews in the coming weeks. Awesome. So why don't we dig into here. Uh, tell me, James, what are the issues that we're going to be talking about in this episode? This covers X-Force numbers 1 through 15, X-Force annual number 1, Spider-Man number 16, and Wolverine number 54 from 1991 to 1992. Yes, there we go. It's probably not a surprise that you would see two of the top-selling books there, Spider-Man and Wolverine, in here, trying to give X-Force a boost, even though it probably didn't need it. Yeah. What are the things we need to know? There's actually a lot that we need to know before jumping into this book, because it spins directly out of the end of New Mutants. Yes. We, we kind of went over the industry a little bit. So basically what you need to know there, because that, that, it is very important to know just how the comic industry was at this point to kind of understand like a lot of this stuff. It was very artist driven. So uh, a lot of people that are famous now, like uh, Rob Liefeld, Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, uh, they were all in like their early 20s, like kind of cutting their teeth on these Marvel books. And the more popular they became, uh, the more power that they wielded in Marvel. So we we talked before about how Spider-Man number one sold record copies. That was pretty much promoted as just Todd McFarlane's own Spider-Man book. Right, yeah. And Jim Lee would eventually get his, uh, his own X-Men book. And this uh, was a result of Rob Liefeld. Uh, he took over the New Mutants, which was kind of the predecessor to X-Force, a lot of the same characters. He took that over in like the final 10 issues of that series. And New Mutants was canceled, and in its place, uh, X-Force was launched. So that was kind of Rob's own, like, you know, playground to, to utilize these characters. On Rob Liefeld's Instagram page, he posted a memo that he, he posted to Sven Larsen, and he's pitching the idea of X-Force. But he didn't call it X-Force at the beginning. He, his original title was X-Terminators. Hmm. 
And this was in 1990, September 1990s, when the memo is, is dated. That's interesting. That's actually something that he tried to take with him after he left Marvel. And uh, Bob Harris, who's the editor-in-chief, is like, oh, no, you're not using exterminators. <laughs> um, and it's really interesting to read this because he has a whole plan of the artists he wants to use and the writers and the timing of it all um, and how everything's going to fit together with the relaunch of this new of of new mutants into exterminators and the the memo is actually um sven larsen's re response to rob's original memo saying kind of what needs to happen before we can move forward with this idea it's really interesting a little cool piece of history so check that out on rob's instagram page to uh, get some more information about that it's the kind of thing that i would have loved to see inside the epic collection but I think he just found it in a box somewhere recently. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that was pretty cool. That's one of the things that, like, that's probably one of Rob's strongest, like, his strong points as a talent. Like, the guy just has, he has so much enthusiasm, like, for, for what he's doing, and he's just, he's so full of ideas. Like, sometimes, like, too much, like, to his own detriment, but, like, the guy's just, like, he's always thinking. It's like, you kind of get the feeling that, like, he just, like, always wants to move on to the next thing, because he's always just creating stuff, so... I think I think that is kind of, that's kind of an admirable trait, like to always be willing to create new things. Yeah, it is. Um, okay, so how story wise, though, what are some of the points that we need to know before going into this book as well? Well, uh, the New Mutants were a group that was started by uh, Professor X as like the next generation of X Men, and that kind of went on for a while in the '80s. Uh, until Cable comes along. And uh, we don't know too much about Cable yet at this point, but he's like a paramilitary-type guy. Uh, he takes things to the extreme. This is 1991. Yeah. He wants um, New Mutants to be proactive because there's all these threats against mutant kind. So, you know, we're not just going to sit around and wait for people to attack us. We're going to go out there and beat up the bad guys ourselves. And that causes, like, a rift between the New Mutants and... The, uh, the traditional X-Men, so they sever ties and go off on their own with Cable. And I think that pretty much covers most of it. I don't know, did I miss anything? Yeah, well, this is where the, the team is formed in the last few issues of New Mutants. Th things happen like Warpath doesn't want to join X-Force, but then he goes back to his village and finds that they're all slaughtered, and so he joins reluctantly with the condition that the team will help him with his revenge with and like tracking down whoever he, whoever did it. I think he finds a hellfire goons mask on the ground. So he yeah. knows that the hellfire clubs related to this. Uh, and then also Farrell is a character that we're introduced to. And she shows up at the X mansion seeking asylum because the Morlocks are after her and she doesn't want to be part of the Morlocks anymore. So a lot of that storyline is carried over into this book also. And then uh, Shatterstar shows up and he's being pursued by people from his world because he comes from, what is that land called? Is it just Mojo land? Uh, Mojo world. Mojo yeah. world. Oh, yeah, that's right. He is a created construct like Longshot, like he's an artificial person. Not artificial. He just he's grown in a lab or something. <laughs> Yeah, um, basically. And trained his whole life to be um, a fighter for entertainment. And then the other thing I think you need to know is that Sunfire's father was killed by the Hellfire Club. I think in New Mutants 99 or 98, Sunfire has a falling out with 
X-Force and leaves the team and joins up with his buddy that he's just met, Gideon. And we don't really know much about Gideon at this point. Sunspot, you mean, right? Or Sorry, uh, Sunspot. Yeah, yeah, not Sunfire. Sunfire is a different guy. You'll notice kind of a recurring theme here, too, like um, because Richter also leaves the New Mutants because he doesn't trust Cable. So there is a lot of new characters coming in and a lot of old uh, existing New Mutants concepts are kind of getting phased out. Um, definitely. And so it's kind of obvious as well. And the, the last, I think two issues of new mutants is all set up to, um, cables training his new team to infiltrate the mutant liberation front headquarters. And, uh, they're about to, to, to do it. And then the title changes to X-Force number one. And that's kind of where we come into this, the story in this book here. Yeah, and then also at the end of the the final New Mutants issue, um, the leader of the Mutant Liberation Front, they're basically like a like a terror, <laughs> excuse me, a terrorist organization, uh, led by a, a guy called Strife, who is in full body armor. And then uh, when he takes off his helmet at the end of that issue, we see that uh, it looks like Cable underneath. Right. Yeah, I guess that's sort of important to know as well. And he's a mis- mystery character as well. Oh yeah, the early nineteen nineties were full of mystery characters <laughs> yeah. like basically all he had to do was just throw a guy out there to have some vague explanations about some things and then let the readers figure in and people were people were hooked on that stuff okay we have a twitter poll question i asked is who is the best of cable's new recruits for x-force number one and your four options were domino shatterstar feral and warpath um warpath or sorry feral got zero percent of the votes no one really likes her neither do i (laughs) Uh, shatterstar got 14 percent of the votes warpath got 22 percent of the votes and domino won uh this poll was 64 percent of the votes Okay. Um, who's your pick, James? I would have picked Warpath. Um, he was actually not just one of my favorite X-Force characters, but like one of my favorite comic characters, period, growing up. Wow, nice. Solely based on the reason that his name was also James. So I was very, <laughs> I was easy to please. One of the reasons kid. why I liked Nightcrawler so much. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, not only was his name Curtis, but it, he spelled it with a K as well, not a C. With a K too, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah exactly. there you go. <laughs> yeah, but that's how our uh, you know our ten-year-old minds work. Just based on X Force, like this collection here, um, I think I would probably have to say Shatterstar, because oh, okay. I think that he actually gets he gets the most uh, kind of screen time, and he actually does go through uh, quite a bit of a change from like he can't even count apparently at the beginning of this book, and he learns a yeah. lot learns a lot about just being a normal person, that kind of thing. So uh, I liked his story. Um, I think if I were to read some more of this, I'd probably get more in, interested in, in Domino because she's got a mysterious past that gets revealed more because um, her story kind of just starts at the end of this book. So, And I haven't read any more, so I don't know what goes on after that. A lot of these characters, too, you'll see, even, even like Deadpool, you'll see that uh, a lot of like the characterization that we know them for now comes kind of much later on by like different creators yeah and that's the thing about the way Liefeld structured this is 
that uh, he's got very basic characters. They are all archetypes of some sort that are so extreme that they really don't need expanding. Um, yeah. They, and it's a team book, so you don't get the same sort of character development as you do with a solo book. Yeah, and we can point out some examples as as uh, as we go through the issues here. Okay, we have a few reader comments uh, over on Facebook. Grant says, I gave it a go, but I just couldn't cope with the art. Oh. <laughs> I persevered to the end, and I think it's a fantastic package, referring to the epic collection itself, for fans of that era with the extras, but not for me. Uh, well, we thank you for trying, though, Grant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. And uh, maybe uh, jump on with a, a book down the road because, you know, Liefeld's no longer on it after this volume. So maybe volume two will be will turn it around for you. Mm. Uh, Frank says, beyond the Liefeld art, everyone li- loves to rag on, on the art. <laughs> beyond the Liefeld art, I'm wondering how well Nicieza's stories look now. I remember that they were pretty good, especially when Capullo was, uh, took over the art. But I wonder if by the 2018 standards, those issues still work. I've read a lot of that stuff actually fairly recently, and I still enjoyed those issues quite a bit. So. Yeah, and we'll see as we go through this, which what works and what doesn't yeah. work. And uh, um, we can let's try to remember to report back on that at the end of the episode. All right. Tommy says, oh, my preconceptions of this era uh, is still for a horrible run. However, I heard good things of the Nicieza and Capullo runs, starting with X-Force number 16, which is one of the tie-ins to the Executioner's song. So um, he hasn't actually read the book. The book. He just wanted to make that comment. So right. I think everybody's impression, and I think a lot of people maybe haven't even read this stuff, but their impression is, and I think because of the stigma surrounding Rob Liefeld himself, is that yeah. this stuff is terrible. And um, and I was actually quite surprised. This is my first time reading this material. And I I actually had a good time. I'm going to say that right now. I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> it's just it's just different. Like, you really got to go in. Like, you're obviously not expecting Watchmen. But uh, right. I don't know. It's just so, some of this stuff, too. It's just a lot of it for me is nostalgia. And, like, I, I will willingly admit that. Like, that I'm probably looking at some of this stuff through rose-colored uh, glasses. But... You know, we're we're gonna point out what we like and what we don't like too. So, like I said, we're gonna we're gonna try to be fair, and you know, it's it's this isn't just gonna be like a, a slog on the artwork or the early '90s stuff because you know, again, this stuff was popular for a reason. So we'll we'll try to to give those reasons. And speaking of that, I'm gonna play a little clip of Fabian talking about um, just his recollections of Rob and how well Rob was suited to putting this book together. Rob had found a formula that allowed him to express his borderline ADD yeah, yeah. excitement and enthusiasm and put it on paper. I, I, I you know, I, I could criticize a lot of Rob's working methods. I can criticize some of his actual artwork or some of his story choices, but I will never, ever criticize how intelligent he is how smart he is at understanding the zeitgeist of his audience wow and he got it at that time he understood it and he 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 nailed it for that audience we saw new mutant sales starting to go up from the minute he came on board when he became plotter with issue 98 and introduced all those characters the book jumped 
massively in sales, okay? So we knew X-Force was going to be big. We, I didn't, none of us thought it was going to sell 6 million copies at a direct market. That, that wasn't <laughs> an expectation on our part. But Todd's book had sold a million the year before, so Rob wanted to break a million because he wanted to top Todd. <laughs> so we, <laughs> right. the, the hope was that we were going to top a million. Uh, you know, we didn't think it was going to be what it became. That that was a little excessive, and a lot of that was because of, of marketing and sales tricks, like you know the the the, the five card and the bag card right, and yeah. all that stuff. That that that, uh, that artificially inflated the orders. But even without those bag comics, it still would have sold over a million copies in the direct market. Um, so so no, I wasn't surprised in the least that, that it succeeded. Uh, not at all. Well, let's start at the beginning. This is issue number one. It's called A Force to Be Reckoned With. And in this one, Cable and his new team infiltrate the Mutant Liberation Front headquarters to confront strife. And in a subplot, Black Tom is given a controlling percentage, uh, like a controlling share of Roberto's company. Um, And we don't know exactly why, but why would you give a controlling share to Black Tom Cassidy? (laughs) Can't be good. Yeah, yeah, he's not a reputable character. So this one starts off with a bang. I mean, it's just wall-to-wall action to begin with. And we really get to see the team not at their fullest. They they don't quite know how to work together quite as well as Cable is hoping that they would work together. Yeah, the team's uh, still gelling, definitely. And this uh, this issue is just like a like pure sugar rush. Like, it's just all action and... Um, I think Liefeld, you, you'll tell for this particular issue, I think he's a lot more enthusiastic about the material than uh, some of the later ones. Like the artwork looks a lot more polished and finished than some later issues. Yeah, there's just some really, really great shots. I like the, the team on page 20 in this collection. Um, the, the team shot there is just, uh, it's really solid. He's got great layouts. And the thing is with him is I think he really thinks about the the flow of the action and like making sure that he knows where all of the characters are in relation to each other, um, especially when you're talking about a coordinated strike like this, you have to kind of keep that all in mind, and it shows through his through his layouts. One thing um, we do have to mention, though, because you know we're gonna, we're going to be fair. Yep. Like a lot of uh, a lot of like his stronger stuff was where they were they were swiped panels. Like uh, there, there's a lot of articles you could probably like look up out there that show that. Uh, you know, these were like basically traced over like old uh, New Teen Titans issues from uh, from George Perez, <laughs> but he definitely brings he brings his own kineticism to it, and there's just something there's something so odd about it. Like he people have to realize just how different like late '80s Marvel was than like it was like at this time. Like they really did need like kind of a breath of fresh air, and like these you know all these young artists coming in was like you know it was like a shock to the system. Well, and Liefeld's not the only guy to do that. You can right. you can take any artist and probably find swipes. Um, and right. Some of them more. I think I saw, was it Rich Buckler, I think? There's a whole website devoted to this guy who's finding um, other, like, Rich Rich Buckler panels that, that he swiped from other artists. <laughs> oh. um, and when I was talking to uh, Ron Friends, he freely admits that he does it because he wanted to do his best Jack Kirby. 
So yeah, yeah, he did. It's not an uncommon thing to do, and I think that, uh, you know, I I think I don't think that he should do it, but I don't know if it's just part of the industry at this time, especially. It's, I think it's part of the whole uh, the whole Liefeld mystique is that that's one thing that always comes up, you know. So it's right. <laughs> one thing I do like though is again how Marvel kind of needed a kick in the pants, like towards the end of the late '80s. If you remember, like. A lot of the Chris Claremont X-Men stories, it was just uh, the X-Men would, would sit around until something happened to them. Like somebody would come to the, the mansion and attack them. So like the proactive thing actually is, is a really good idea because like they really weren't doing anything like that in, in Marvel Comics back then. So that kind of immediately makes it stand out. Exactly. And what what more exciting thing than, you know, if you are a 10 or 12 year old boy is to, to take control of those situations. Yeah. <laughs> and not not wait for it to happen. It's just like, no, you know what needs to be done. Every 10-year-old knows what needs to be done in these, these situations. <laughs> you know. And is is this the issue where Shatterstar cuts off Reaper's yep. hand? Yes, it is. So yeah, it's very very violent compared to a, a lot of other stuff at the time too. So I mean, yeah. that was that you know, young kids like were really into at the time. Yeah, it's it's not just that as well. It's like there are some risky moments like Cable and Domino sharing their bath or whatever it is, and um, even just the way Cable treats his own yeah. his own I don't I don't know if you call them friends, but uh, his own teammates. It's kind of brutal. Yeah, it's uh, it's MTV comics basically. It, it is. You know, it is that generation. Ever since Cable appeared, there have been uh, many many questions and little hints, and um, one of the things that Fabian said in his interview with me. Uh, in fact, I'll play the clip so you can hear it. It was a cable miniseries in the budget before Rob even left for Image. Um, right. He was originally supposed to do it, I think. That's the blood and metal? Yeah, yeah. I, I, whatever, I, I, I titled it, I wrote the whole thing. He, I, he, had, he left behind no notes, no plans, no nothing. Whatever he had in mind was in his <laughs> own head, um, which is his right. I mean, he's not, you're not getting paid for, you're gonna, you know, it's work for hire. You're yeah, not getting right. paid for a story outline you're getting paid to write a story yeah um so you know i, I don't begrudge him whatever uh, cable ideas he had in his head they're his property until he sells them to marvel and if he doesn't sell them to marvel then they're his yeah uh, and he didn't have any obligation to tell me those at all uh, so so he left and I, I, I we were staring a cable miniseries two issue miniseries right in the face and we knew it was going to be coming out um, because it was in the quarterly budget plan, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. for the year. So we had to put it together and, and it wasn't hard to put together. I knew the stories that we needed to tell. I knew how I wanted to tell those stories. I'd already written enough of this, uh, enough of this character and enough of his supporting characters. Uh, I'd done enough in script dialogue to lay hints down about his past that weren't even necessarily things that Rob had put down in plot notes or border notes on his, his layouts. They were just me throwing stuff out there to begin fleshing these characters out. Um, so you, you allude to stuff that happened in the past and things like that. And I knew that, that there was enough of that raw material floating around that I could herd it together and turn it into haggis. Um, so <laughs> all this raw meat could be shoved into, into one stomach line. Yeah, right. And, and John- <laughs> It's kind of interesting. We should maybe talk a little bit about the relationship between the words and the pictures here, because 
Like you said, this was an artist-driven book. Rob came up with all of the stories, and he did all of the layouts and all of the artwork. And in most of these issues, or not most of these issues, but the early ones especially, he even did the inks. But Fabian was the guy who actually wrote the script and the dialogue to go along with it. So Fabian was left a lot of the time either filling in the gaps that Rob wasn't filling in in his artwork, which does happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does happen throughout this book. And he was also doing those little things like he mentioned in that little clip I played, um, throwing little clues in that weren't necessarily part of Rob's bigger picture, but were just something that he could throw in yeah. so that they'd have some potential story later. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, as far as new and fresh and exciting as I kind of build this out to be it's it's they're using the traditional marvel method of of you know scripting and storytelling with yep. the art and the uh, the writer so yeah, that's that's, that's kind of fun i never really thought of that before except a little bit of a twist because usually it would be yeah. the writer that yeah. had the plot would hand it over to the artist and then he would be returned back to him to script this one it starts with the artist uh who's doing the the writing and the story and the plot they give rob a, a credit for plots too and yep. he's so I, th- I think Fabian's just credited as script. Yep, yep. He he didn't really have a say in what was going on. Another thing I liked about this was I mentioned how I liked uh, Warpath just because we shared names. <laughs> Their base was in uh, the Adirondack Mountains, which I always thought was cool because that's kind of my backyard. I live in upstate New York. Oh, yeah, cool. That is, that's so, great. yeah, nothing ever happens up here. It's always in New York City, so that was cool. <laughs> in this collection, Weapon X visits Vancouver, and that's where I am. And so that was cool. Oh, wow. Yep. <laughs> there you wow, go. We to do this episode together. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> and then speaking of Weapon X, too, you got, um, I, I do like the little kind of the shared universe aspect of all of this because um, they mentioned that like Weapon X was already kind of established in Canada. And then they also mentioned um, General Clark who was being used in Alpha Flight comics around this time. So it's nice to know that like it's part of the wider Marvel universe and not just something on its own. That's right. Yeah. On page 33 in this collection, Cable is is working on their their aircraft, and he's using um, telekinesis to move the tools around. And Domino sees this, and he's like, what are you doing? You can't let anybody see you doing that kind of stuff. So here's another little surprise. We didn't know that Cable was telekinetic. No, no, not, not until, this, until this moment. We just thought he was a guy with guns. Yeah. So that's really interesting that they just kind of throw it, throw it in there. And, um, and yeah, I don't think you even see him using telekinesis in the rest of this book. It was just that one scene. Yep. Yeah. They slowly just kind of drip feed this information out and you can, it, I mean, it, it's, it's so easy with hindsight, you know, to go in back and, and put the pieces together. But I, I, I definitely remember like reading some of this stuff at the time and just really wondering like, what the heck is going on? And like, who is this guy? The other character we're introduced to here is George W. Bridge, George Washington Bridge, agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he is he's kind of following um, Cable around, and we don't exactly know why. Um, and then later on in this book, we find out that they actually have a big past. Yeah, pretty much everybody knows Cable. Yeah, like, which is so strange, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this guy that just uh, debuted in the comics, like, uh, you know, within a year of this, like, you know, he has a mysterious past with everybody. But, you know, that that's kind of what made Wolverine successful. Like, every time, you know, they brought Wolverine somewhere, it's like he had some old buddy that we've never heard of before that that's true. has some kind of past. Yeah. 
and there's just I'm unlimited uh, storytelling potential there if you keep the, the the backstory a mystery. Yeah, one thing I wanted to uh, point out too is that um, this kind of it comes into play throughout the collection, but I always felt that like Liefeld was uh, much more interested in his newer creations than like the actual X Force team itself. Like he obviously was interested in Cable and like Domino to a lesser extent, but he put so much emphasis on like, uh, you know, like GW Bridge and like the Weapon X program, Kane and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I remember too, like uh, X-Force was so successful at this time that um, like I was of the age where I was buying like uh, the X-Men action figures. Yeah. Like X-Force actually, they had their own line. Yeah, they did. That's right. And if you look at like those old figures, I think the only team member of X-Force in that series, the first series was uh, Shatterstar, you know, in, in addition to Cable. And then everybody else was like GW Bridge, like Gideon got an action figure for whatever, for whatever reason. So. <laughs> Gideon also had a trading card in one of the Marvel yes. sets. So when when they're doing that kind of stuff, you know, when they're merchandising, like you're, you're getting material a lot earlier than like when, because they, you know, they want to have the merchandise out, uh, you know, when the comic comes out, you know, strike while the iron is hot. Yeah. So you kind of get that information, like the same thing. It still happens in movies today, like just, you know, to get that product out. So they kind of were already deciding, like, who are going to be like the most heavily promoted characters. And like, you know, there's like no sign of Cannonball or, you know, <laughs> or like Boomer or any of the rest of the team. It was just it was just all the new faces. And many how many of those new faces like I can't imagine GW Bridge flying off the shelf in toy stores. <laughs> they probably <laughs> no, lined I, the shelves. I specifically remember him and Gideon, like you could still find them like like four years later and they were just <laughs> even on clearance prices, like they were just not going anywhere. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> Bad move, Toy oh, well, Biz they, or whoever it was. Right. Okay, let's move on to number two. All right, so uh, X-Force number two is the Blood Hunters, and this is the first appearance of Garrison Kane. Um, he was sent by GW Bridge to go after Cable. They have some kind of uh, history together. Uh, we don't know what. And then also, probably more importantly, Garrison Kane, he sticks around, but he didn't really take off as much as the next guy. And uh, that guy would be Deadpool. This is actually Deadpool's second appearance in comic books. And uh, he also has a history with Kane and Cable. And a lot of the early um, characteristics, like, or the characteristics that we know of now are already kind of there. Like, he's he's doing, like, the wisecracking, and he's, you know, just kind of uh, just being a general nuisance to everybody that he fights. Yeah, it's it's not really much of an X Force story. Like most of the focus uh, on this issue is on Kane and Deadpool. So, what did you what did you think of this one? Uh, I thought this one was nice. Now, this is uh, going back to my childhood. I had this issue. I still have it, and I it was the only X Force issue that I ever owned. I think for yeah. probably still, it might be the only X Force issue I ever owned. And I read it over and over again, and I never understood any of it. <laughs> and uh, and I don't think it's worth anything these days because I think the cover's torn off and stuff. But I do. The, the one thing I remember from it is that Deadpool was a cool character. I, I liked him uh, when he was a kid, and then I also liked the fact that Kane's hand could fly off of him. Yep, <laughs> so that was pretty cool Kane's, too. Kane's action figure actually did that. So that yes, is awesome. That's like a choking and, um, hazard. Yeah, 
But uh, and then speaking of those figures too, like De- Deadpool, he kind of went through his lulls. It's weird though because he always had kind of that cult like following to him. Like even going way way back to these early appearances, because I because I remember that uh the Deadpool figure was like easily the hardest one to find, and it was going for like a lot more money, like on uh you know the aftermarket and stuff like looking for these things at flea markets and things like that like i used to do and so yeah right right from the second appearance there's just there's something about the character that people just loved and it didn't really explode like until much later on but it was always like the groundswell was always there i see deadpool as being an easily identifiable character yeah um, because and i think part of it is because his face is completely obscured so you yep. could be behind that mask. If you're a 10-year-old reading it, if you're a 10-year-old boy, you're maybe not going to identify with Domino or even like Warpath because he's huge. Or, you know, um, those characters are so specific. But yeah. Dead- Deadpool could be anybody. Yeah. And it might sound like a backhanded compliment too, but I always thought that like characters that were like easier to draw like when you're a kid, I think that's kind of part of like uh, the charm of some of Liefeld stuff. Like I remember like being like 10 years old or whatever, like I've always been into artwork. So I guess, you know, I'm not like a typical kid, but I just remember drawing like uh Deadpool a lot just because he was, you know, he didn't have a face. So right. Yeah. Just something mysterious. He's cool iconic. He's identifiable. And also he does things that we wish we could do mouth off to people. Yeah. And, like, (laughs) the way he's such a smart aleck is what we would all hope to be, to be quick thinking and be able to come up with those those quippy remarks all the time. And Deadpool does that. And he's got guns. And he's got swords. (laughs) Good point, too, about him being, like, iconic. Like, you just see those big black circles with the two little white dots for eyes, and, like, you immediately know that's that's Deadpool. Yeah. That's how, you know, that's how they always say, like, uh, you know, the best design characters always have some kind of immediate recognizable factor to them. And that's there. It is. That's there. Um, the other half of this book is kind of a training session between characters, a chance for us to, to get to know our heroes a little bit more and to find out kind of, they just don't get along. This is no. a team of misfits, but like Chris Claremont's X-Men was a team of misfits, but they were all buddies. This team doesn't get along at all and we see this right away because feral rips into cannonball's guts and seriously injures him (laughs) yeah she like eviscerates the poor guy yeah so this is a a team that's going to need to work with you almost wonder it's like what like what is she doing on the team like you know it's like (laughs) it's if she's that dangerous to where she's like literally like killing your teammates in a training exercises then and i think what is it cable like he wonders, like, uh, I forget what, what he actually said, but something like, uh, you know, are these kids ready for it? Instead of wondering, like, you know, maybe I shouldn't have this lunatic on my team. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. I think, though, this is a, what happens to Cannonball here is a little foreshadow to what happens a little bit later on in the book. Yeah, he's not treated too well. No, <laughs> he's not at all. But he kind of bounces back from this wound fairly quickly. And I don't, you don't think about it at all uh, at the time. But that's explained a little while later. And then also we get uh, Black, Black Tom is back again, too, and uh, at the World Trade Center where Sunspot and Gideon were. And he brings his longtime buddy, the uh, Juggernaut, back to our dimension. Juggernaut's been lost since uh, I believe it was a Thor issue where he was like uh, transported somewhere else. So now he's back. 
And this is such a cool double page spread. Liefeld does <laughs> an amazing juggernaut. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's enormous here. Like this is like by far the biggest like they've ever shown <laughs> juggernaut. <laughs> yes. And that leads us right into issue number three. Issue number three is called Battle Cry. And Siren, splash page with Siren, Banshee's daughter, is the first on the scene here to fight Juggernaut. And soon X-Force arrives as well, and they have a big fight. And also Sunspot and Gideon fight Black Tom. And then at the very end of this issue, Spider-Man swings by. So kind of everyone's invited to this fight, and that's kind of the whole issue. Yeah, I do want to point out, too, um, Cable is wearing, like, the weirdest armor that I've ever seen, and it never, ever gets referenced again, like, outside of this one little storyline. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, right. Like, it's the gigantic, like, silver spacesuit. Like, it never showed up on, like, trading cards or merchandise or anything like that. So, yeah, I don't think it was very popular, and it just it looks strange. <laughs> it's not popular because there are no pouches on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's got this weird thing, like... Uh, like, what's the point of, like, the horns, like, in front of his face? Like, it's not very, <laughs> like, I don't... Right. Um, I think that maybe they realized it was too close to Strife armor, and they weren't ready to yeah, kind of make possibly. that uh, connection yet. Because it's very yeah. Strife-ish in the way that the, like, the shoulder pads yeah. kind of, Lots um, of point stuff. up and stuff. Yep. <laughs> as far as, like, uh, the art now, I, I noticed that, like, in, in this issue, like, a lot of this stuff starts to look more like unfinished or rushed um like there's a lot of blank space in like some of the later panels and like i know there's like one panel here where like tom and juggernaut like they barely look like they're even like inked like rendered <laughs> so i i think we're kind of crunching deadlines here with uh with liefeld well i think this was about the time because liefeld had had big plans for this book but it took a while to get off the ground and they 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 pushed the date, the release date, so that it would be closer to when X-Men number one was coming out because they wanted those two to kind of come out together, kind of do this revamping of all of the X titles. Yeah. Because of the delay, this was when Image was starting to form as well. So I believe Rob was kind of splitting his time right now between this and working on some Image stuff kind of under the radar. Yeah, he was, he was definitely busy. Yeah, very busy guy. So I really liked this fight. The team kind of splits up and they, they tackled different things. So like a part of the team goes to help Sunspot and, with uh, Black Tom and the other part of the team goes over to Juggernaut. And I, even though the art was a little rough, like you say, there was still a great sense of pacing. All of the characters got their chance to shine and uh, display their, their abilities, except for Boomer. Is Boomer even in this issue? Boom Boom so. seems like she seems like one of the characters that Liefeld is like the least interested in. Like as far as screen time, she really yeah. probably it's the least out of all of them. So she, I think she only fires one of her little explosions one time in this collection. And she gets the uh, the rocket launchers too, or something that they mentioned, but it's not really shown in the artwork. I don't know if this was last issue or this one, but I remember that happened during this volume. Right, so it used to be she could just create like a a time bomb and then just throw it and now she has like a wrist launcher or something that does it for her right scattered throughout this epic collection are various pinups and magazine covers because everyone in the comic book world was talking about x-force so there's a lot of extra material 
um, and squished in between issues here and there. So make sure you keep your eyes open for that stuff because it's there's a lot of really neat things here. And I, I do I do think it's worth mentioning because I don't know if any fans who weren't around during this time would understand this, but there were so many different magazines that covered comic books at this time. Right. Like yeah, it, it wasn't just it Wizard. Wasn't Wizard magazine. Yeah, it was like um, I know there was Heroes World. There was uh, what was the one in this? Uh, there's one like right after this issue. Yeah, it's spectacular. Like, uh, comic scenes, spectacular. Yeah. You would go to like a drugstore or a grocery store, and there would literally be like five or six different magazines like that just covered comic books, and that's just it, unheard of today. Well, because the internet killed most of these books. Yeah, pr- print media is pretty much you know on its way out, but it's just yeah, it's just it's crazy just to think that there was that much because I remember even after like a uh, big bubble burst yeah. in like night. 95 ish like there was like there was pretty much just wizard so for a oh, while and there, alter ego is another one roy thomas's magazine yeah alter ego well next up is um an issue of spider-man yeah, we got a uh, spider-man number 16 the sabotage crossover part one thought it was kind of interesting that they actually called it crossover in the title because that was usually more of like a behind the scenes sort of industry term you never actually saw the word crossover on a comic itself hmm the entire issue is drawn sideways, um, which <laughs> yes. I uh, I never really liked that. Like, you, it's it, it is worse in a collected edition because you like you get love, you know, the gutter loss where you're kind of missing stuff where the pages meet. But I remember even like reading like the actual issues. I always thought it was just kind of annoying when that happened. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's easier to read um, in the in the single issues because you you know you lay on the floor and yeah, especially if yep. I just remember laying on the floor and flipping the pages up. Um, much more cumbersome to read when you're holding it in a big right. collection like this, like it's a, you know, a centerfold. <laughs> yeah. And I remember there was an issue of Fantastic Four like this as well um, during John Byrne's run. And then there was an issue that was sideways. It was an X-Men annual, I think in 2001. But the difference there was it was stapled on the side rather than on the top. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I remember it, it opened the right way it, it was a lot easier to read and i liked that i thought that was a good idea yeah and you mentioned um you mentioned centerfolds and that, that's pretty much what this is um this this being spider-man this is actually todd mcfarlane on art and if you know anything about comics you've probably heard about todd um oh, yes. he created like pretty much his own empire around uh his spawn character and uh did very very well for himself you know a, bi- a big reason why he left marvel was because you know he kind of wanted to have his own piece of the pie this is actually his very last issue of Spider-Man. He kind of goes out with no fanfare. You just see uh, Spider-Man on the cover of this just saying, uh, bye, Todd, in a little word balloon. So the image exodus is already kind of happening. Oh, yeah, he does say, bye, Todd. I didn't notice that. Yeah. Yeah, see, it's very, it's very almost, like, discreet. Like, it's just, we can talk about this when Rob leaves, too, but I guess I kind of mention it here. Something always, like... Uh, rubbed me the wrong way about how like marvel like went out of their way to uh like kind of give the floor to like these new artists and then they're gone within like a year so i know i know that like they kind of pissed off a lot of guys like chris claremont was kind of unhappy with like how his x-men run ended and a lot of other creators were too like especially like writers who you know were now kind of being pushed aside in favor of you know the new artists and yeah it's just kind of weird because like they went out of their way to do this and then it's just kind of it's just so short-lived like just a flash in the pan it is but uh what do you have to say about the issue itself 
I liked Todd's take on X Force. It's always cool to see him, uh, some like another person drawing another another creator's yeah, team. I agree. Um, he and he does some really cool things because uh, Todd has he has a an extreme style like Rob's, but it's so different. There's a much more of a a looser, cartoony feel to his work. And there's there's more of a sense of fun in this issue, and I may maybe that's partly because it's a Spider-Man issue instead of an X-Force issue, but even the battles are a lot more lighthearted than yeah um, than what you would see in in the X-Force issues. Yeah, I say lighthearted, but then Juggernaut gets stabbed in the eye. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I think that's actually one of the um, the reasons why Todd actually left Marvel uh, because of that panel because. Um, he wanted like they, they actually show this like uh at the back end of this collection they have the uncensored panel Shatterstar stabs uh juggernaut through the eyes with his sword mm-hmm. and i don't know how mcfarlane thought he would have got that past <laughs> yeah, comics I know, right? anyway. <laughs> and it wasn't like it wasn't like it was just that one thing that led him to leaving marvel it was just a lot of editorial interference over time that he just kind of got sick of and that was kind of just a straw that broke the camel's back so it's just it's weird too because I'm like Jug- Juggernaut like his he doesn't have like yeah he has armor but like the fact is that like Juggernaut himself is invulnerable so that really shouldn't work but you know they have to show cool cool violence so <laughs> <laughs> oh it looks like Boomer does actually make an explosion in this issue my mistake I was there's one more down the road I forgot about this uh, one <laughs> is she Boomer at this time or Boom Boom she she's still Boom Boom uh, she's Boom Boom. Okay. Yeah, she she officially becomes Boomer after Executioner's song. Oh, okay. So, yeah, she's Boom Boom in this whole volume. Okay, I will, from now on, just call her Boom Boom. Um, there's one part where Cannonball is speeding towards Juggernaut, and he goes, he just barrels right into Juggernaut full full steam and ricochets off of him into a building, or almost into a building but Spider-Man saves him. <laughs> uh, it's just incredible. I, I love shots like that, and I remember the Thor issue, with when Thor is fighting, fighting Juggernaut and he just launches his hammer full speed at Juggernaut and it doesn't do a thing. It's like, wow, this guy's yeah. this guy's awesome. Kind of branching off the topic of like uh, the hyper violence and a lot of this. Um, one thing that was kind of weird is like when uh, Ju- Juggernaut knocks down the World Trade Center <laughs> and like I, I know that's like ridiculous to kind of look back with you know what happened in 2001. Like you know, there's no way to know that. But yeah, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that um. I always just find it kind of weird when, like, uh, they treat, like, these massive, massive, like, acts of destruction, like, in comic books, as just, like, just something that just kind of carelessly happens in the background, you know? Like, it's not yeah. mentioned anywhere else or something mm-hmm. like that. And, it, and the way it happens, too, is just, like, a tiny little panel. Like, you barely even, like, really get a sense of scale as far as, like, what he's doing. So, it's just weird. Yeah, he probably took out a good couple dozen floors. How many people yeah. were in those office buildings? Oh, I I don't know. I mean, the the way the artwork is done too, it's very hard to tell like what he's actually doing because you just kind of see like uh like all the windows and the entire building itself is just all of a sudden like sideways. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's just just kind of just kind of strange. Because we usually in comic books too, like they kind of go out of their way to mention that like when the Hulk is rampaging, you know, oh, uh, they, they the police cleared the city or something like that, you know. <laughs> right. Thank goodness we got everybody evacuated in 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we can move over to X-Force number four, which is Sabotage Crossover Part 2. 
And in this one, um, X-Force and Spidey finish their battle, basically. It's another sideways issue. And, yeah, there's not much more to report than that. Black Tom um, and Juggernaut, th- there's a part in here that's very interesting. Cable uses actually uses lethal force to take care of Black Tom when Black Tom is helpless. Yeah. He just shoots him right in the face. Yeah, while he's hanging for his life in an elevator shaft, like that was, that was uh, brutal. And this is a hero we're we're talking about. Uh, we we haven't yeah. seen this kind of thing from Marvel comics. Not even the Punisher is usually that brutal at this point. He he gets much more brutal later on. But but yeah, that's just it's new. Yeah, well, it's like Punisher too. It was always like nameless crooks or something, and you would see him like you know, shooting into the, into the ether, you know, off panel and they were getting killed, but yeah, they just show it like point blank right here. Yeah. Um, I do want to bring up the colorist in this issue. His name is Brian Murray and I really, really don't like his coloring. I just find his color Uh choices are just awful um, because he does his, all of his, his shading in weird like blues and pinks and greens and it just is not right. It just looks really, really terrible, in my opinion. I, some people might like it. I'm sorry that uh, if you're one of those people, but I, I can't stand it. I think it, it just it doesn't do the art any sort of service. And where's the, where's the example I want to show you? Oh, I think it's in the next issue because he also colors the next issue. I'll bring it up again uh, in the next okay. issue because there's, a, there's one particular example that I want to bring up. Yeah, throughout these all, all of these issues, they're using like this really weird, like just kind of muted, like flushed out, like sort of palette. Like there's no like reds or blues. Everything's like this really faded red or this pink type of color. It's just very weird looking. Yeah, poor Spidey doesn't really. He he tries to be the team mentor because they he recognizes that these these are a bunch of kids that don't really know what they're doing, and Cable's not around, so he kind of tries to take charge but he doesn't really have a purpose in this crossover at all no even in his own comic he's yeah. really not doing much <laughs> no they just uh wanted to do a little bit of cross promotion there get people to buy x-force because spider-man's in it yeah um one thing about the fight like i saw uh i thought that they kind of took care of juggernaut a little too easy um like siren shouldn't be able to take his helmet off you right. know, like, like they kind of just found an easy way to dispose of him. And then uh, Deadpool actually shows up again. And it's kind of hard to tell because like, just the way the panels are framed, like it's a little confusing. But he teleports uh, Black Tom and Juggernaut somewhere that we don't know about yet. Right. To meet the mysterious. Or do we do we get to know his name right here? Uh, we've heard of uh, Tolliver. Yeah. Oh yeah, Tolliver is from the later issues of X or of uh, New Mutants, right? Yeah, he's like uh, I think he's like supposed to be an arms dealer. We've kind of just heard him mentioned here and there. We know that. Well, of course, he has a history with Cable because everyone does. So, <laughs> but that's we, all we yeah. that's all we really know. We have. And he's always yeah, in the yeah. shadows in these ones as well. We don't even get to look yep. at his face or anything like that. So, yeah. One thing uh, I like Warpath pretty much summed up this issue for me. There's a line that he has at the beginning. Where he just goes, uh, does anyone have any idea how tired I am of all this gratuitous fighting? And I think that was probably <laughs> inside comment that 
ECAs I worked in there. <laughs> because yeah, the... <laughs> it really is like three straight issues of just fighting. Yeah, not much more. And even like the rest, the time when we get to see them just uh, being themselves is training sessions where they're fighting each other. Yeah, and I, I, I do think, because like, like I said, we're going to be fair. I, I, I do think that that's uh, a big weakness of the book Like uh, at this point. Like we're, we're five issues in and there's been almost no characterization of like the actual x-force team itself you know like we we know who cannonball and boom boom are from the new mutants but like feral like she's violent and that's all we know shatterstar he's violent that's all we really know so. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep that's true warpath summed it up for me i really don't have anything else to say about this issue <laughs> okay all right so uh x-force number five is under the magnifying glass and we're introduced to a new uh, Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. And um, they have been X-Men villains since, like, the very early issues, like the early 60s. Um, this time they're led by Toad. A natural leader. Yeah. <laughs> he's always been a follower in the past. So it's kind of weird that he's positioned as a leader all of a sudden. But uh, he's got Blob uh, following him around. And uh, they, they bring uh, Sauron into their group, too. But uh, Sauron, if you don't know, he's really a doctor, uh, Carl Lycos. So he, I guess at the beginning of this issue, he hasn't been Sauron for a long time. And um, their goal is to bring Sauron back so that he could join them. Sauron's like this uh, evil, like pterodactyl man. And um, he's not a mutant, though. Like he's actually like created by, uh, I think he was like bit by a pterodactyl or something, <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> Because I well, I was reading the um the old because uh, he's a Neil Adams creation. Um, oh yeah. Like back, Neil Neil Adams was drawing the X Men like right before they got canceled for the first time. Yeah. And uh, he said something about how yeah you know, he was fighting pterodactyls or something and got turned into him. That's but awesome. yeah, he's just I don't know why they go after Sauron. I think it's kind of just one of those instances where Liefeld just probably wanted to just draw his favorite X or uh, X Men characters. Yeah, he uh, he wanted to... What was it? There was a reason. I think he wants to try and turn a whole bunch of other people into mutants or something like that. And, and Sauron knows yeah, the way to I... do it. Something like that. Um, okay, so here's, here's uh, two examples of the coloring that I want to bring up. On the title page, in the collection, it's page 146. Okay. Just the, the color shading on this is just horrendous. With like the dark reds on their faces highlighted by yellows and light blues it just does not jive and then as uh, and same with like the highlights on sauron's wife's hair tanya tanya's hair yeah. um being like the blues are on there and like there's just some smattering of orange in there it just uh it it doesn't look like it's had it's had thought put into it but the wrong kind of thoughts yeah it's it's just it's ugly and then on page um on page 160, a little later on in this issue, um, there's a, an image of Bridge, and he, like, the shading is done to him, too. And his hair is supposed to be white, but it's speckled with pink and yellow and light blue all in there. And this is, I don't understand it. You ever look at, like, um, the old, like, uh, 3D glasses? Like, if you looked at the image... Without the 3D, it was just those weird reds and blues, and it didn't make sense until you put them on. They're <laughs> yeah. like, oh, that looks right. That's kind of what this looks like. <laughs> that is, I, and I wonder if maybe if I put on those glasses, GW Bridge will all of a sudden <laughs> pop out at me or something. Oh wow! <laughs> so one thing too, yep. uh, 
this is I, I noticed here a lot of these panels um they don't look like Liefeld. But they they're yes. kinda like his style. But yeah. um I know he had a lot of help on some of these issues, like as he was on his way out, and it's not credited, but uh, I believe it was confirmed to be one of his uh studio guys much later on. Yeah, that makes sense. There is a lot of here that that just does not look like him. And I think if you go to page one hundred and fifty seven, that image of cable, the shading is a completely different style of shading than oh, yeah. anything no, else in this issue. Like it's it's completely different. Yeah. Um the guy's name is uh uh Merritt Merritt Michaels. Um I think they revealed it in like the letters page uh later on. Okay. Like a belated thank you. And he's um he's one of Rob's guys because Rob had his own uh studio of artists that was probably like, you know, just, just starting out at this time, uh extreme studios. So he's kinda one of those guys that pretty much, you know, follows Rob to uh a lot of his projects. Wow, that's cool. Um, there's really not much. We're just kind of setting up for another big fight. Um, again, there's not really, there's not really too much going on with X-Force in this issue. It's just building this new brotherhood. Oh, the one thing to note is that Siren joins the team in this issue. Yes. Yeah, she was helping out during the World Trade Center debacle, and now she's, uh, she's going to stick around. Which is funny because we've just been introduced to all of these new characters that we're not getting developed, and we're going <laughs> to throw in another character. Yeah, there's a lot of new, and it just it it doesn't stop here. There's going to be more and more as we keep going through, as we keep going through this. Yeah. So joining us for this next issue, Wolverine fifty four. I figured it would be kind of a nice treat to invite Drew, who is the host over on the Wolverine episodes, to join us to talk about this crossover issue. Hey, Drew, why don't you take us through this one uh, issue, Wolverine fifty four? All right, uh, Wolverine fifty four is called Station Identification. And a group of teenagers called the Vid Kids hunts down and films themselves uh, killing a Morlock. Shatterstar and Wolverine both see the footage of this on TV and run into each other and fight for a bit. And then they team up and defeat the Vid Kids. Yeah, this one is a, it, it's a guest writer, it says here. Fabian Nicieza, so it's kind of nice to see him move over to this book to do a little fill-in issue with Shatterstar. Yeah, you didn't really see too many fill-ins during Larry Hammond's run, so this is kind of rare in, in that regard, but uh, I guess you know it, it does make sense in this collection, even though it's just Shatterstar. They were still kind of pretty early into his character, and quite frankly they probably do a better job of kind of explaining who he is in this issue than they do in some of the X-Force issues we've seen so far. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's very true. They do, because it's just him, Either It was either Rob or Fabian, I don't know who, but they don't really focus a whole lot on Shatterstar. He's just kind of all action, and that's it. So this is a character-defining issue for him. Yeah, I find it's common with like a lot of Liefeld stuff where you kind of have to read in between the lines to figure out what's going on. Like He'll explain things in, um, in interviews and like Wizard Magazine articles and stuff like that. Like I knew about who Shatterstar was like from trading cards and stuff, but... As far as actually reading the comics, like you don't actually really get it. So it's kind of nice here, like where they kind of explain how, you know, he's like this uh, almost, I guess, what you'd consider today, like a reality TV star type guy. So he was like raised in like this television dimension and he pretty much worships uh, the X-Men. So you see a little bit of that here. Drew, what do you think? He, uh, the issue, it's a good fill-in. Um, it, it works in terms of where they put it in the collection here. I noticed the publication dates are a little off, but as 
if you don't pay attention to that, you're and you're reading this straight through it, it reads fine as far as getting to know who Shatterstar is and you know, a, a little Wolverine's always a good thing. I feel like this was added in to kind of help not that X Force needed help selling uh, because it was, you know, selling millions of copies. But the characters are all still so new at this point. Um, what better way to let people know about them than sticking them in a Wolverine book? Yeah, and I, I found, um, like, I listened to the the Dying Game uh, Wolverine episode that you guys just did. And I found that, like, with that collection, there's not really much of, like, an ongoing story arc in Wolverine. It's just kind of like a lot of one-shots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not as familiar with... Uh, with this period in Wolverine, like 1992-ish, because that's kind of like, I got into comics in like 93, so this is like right before that time. So I don't know if this was like interrupting like a a bigger storyline or anything, or if that was just kind of how the Wolverine title always was. Yeah, at this point, Hama was structuring his story arcs in groups of three issues. So this this came between two groups of three issues. Okay, because that Weapon X story was around like, 50 right like wasn't that like a kind of a big deal yeah one thing about this one too is um the morlocks like really had it bad in in the 90s <laughs> like yeah yeah they started off as just kind of this like you know their society's outcasts and they're living underground and now like every other story it's like they're getting killed they're like hunted down for some reason <laughs> it's like for people who stay away from society it's like they sure seem to have a lot of enemies that is one of the inconsistencies with this issue right here is that uh, um, Shatterstar has no problem helping out the Morlocks, but over in the X-Force book itself that's happening at the same time as this, the Morlocks are going after X-Force kind of nonstop. Yeah, and it, there's like different like factions and sub-factions of Morlocks. Like, like the Morlocks, as they're usually like depicted, are pretty much they're done after uh, the Mutant Massacre, and then you get stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Um, the term kid vid that they use here is something that came about, I think maybe in the eighties when, when home video and that kind of thing kind of started taking over and, um, they were, t- a lot of programming would just talk about children's programming as they would just kind of call it kid vid. Um, <laughs> and so I think this is just kind of taking it to the next, to the extreme, and I feel like this is a story that's even more relevant in today's day and age with, uh, you know, social media and YouTube and all that kind of stuff. Um, the, these guys, these villains here would fit right in. I think yeah. this is their, their first and only appearance. Um, I love the outfits that uh, Derek Robertson drew for them. They, they got the little Wolverine impersonator, kind of a She-Ra lady there. And, and they're just the guy with the bowling pin with the spikes in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's pretty pretty great fill-in art. If you're going to have a fill-in artist, it might as well be Derek Robertson. Yeah, he's yeah. a guy I liked a lot, um, like like much later on. Um, and I was kind of surprised. Like, I know that he did uh, he did New Warriors maybe, like, slightly after this, and he was pretty yeah. good there. So I was kind of surprised, like, how good he was early on because I, I really liked his Wolverine run, like, 10 years after this. So it was good stuff. Oh, yeah, with uh, Greg Rucka. Yes, yeah, yeah, where they where they relaunched it with those two. He's just a good, uh, like, his textures and stuff. It always looks, like, dirty, and, it's, yeah, it's, it's unique. Yeah, well, he does really, really good lighting. He plays with the lighting, and that, that might be in part as also the um, the inker that he's working with. Um, who's the inker on this one? Uh, Don Hudson, because there's a lot oh. of great um, just shadow work at play here. And there's the scene where 
where Wolverine's kind of stalking the Morlocks underground and you just see the shadows from the grate and everything's kind of crosshatched mm-hmm. and he pulls a guy into the shadow and stuff. Yeah, a lot of cool scenes like that. Yeah, he's a definitely a guy who likes his crosshatching, but I he's one that uh he kinda has a he has a better grasp on it than than most. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's kind of funny you mentioned the dying game cause I was flipping through this, um, this collection, this X-Force collection and it just hit me how many X-Force cameos were in that Wolverine collection that we, we did the podcast for. <laughs> yeah. had, uh, oh, Weapon yeah. X and, um, and Deadpool. Deadpool, um, Cannonball um, was in a bunch of issues. Yeah. Boom, boom. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> that was during a period too, where I think uh, X Force was living. They were living at the X Mansion, and I know Cannonball actually was an X Man during that time. Right. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there we go. Thanks, Drew, for joining us for this one issue, and we will uh, catch you in the next time we talk about Wolverine. Alrighty. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks, Drew. Thank you. Issue number six is called Under the Gun. This is the issue that this epic collection uh, gets its name from, and in this one, the Brotherhood form an alliance with the Morlocks and uh, and also Warpath and Shadowsar fight during a training session once again and uh, Domino and Cable make some mysterious comments about their past. So this issue is not fighting. It's kind of the first issue here that we've had that uh, other than the sparring that, that Warpath and, uh, and Shadowsar are doing, this is kind of a break. Yep. We're getting some character development a little bit here. It's also a shorter issue because we have one, two, three, four pages at the end of Cable's, what does he call it, Cable, of Cable Guide. So there's a lot of filler. This is a kind of a filler issue. Yeah, we saw a few of them in, uh, in X-Force number one, and here's, here's some more. So they're basically just kind of like official handbook profiles, but done like in-universe. Like these are Cable's actual comments on... Uh, Domino, Cannonball, Warpath, and Sunspot, and they're all—they all have one entire page allocated to them. So yeah, we're kind of we're kind of padding out the issues now. Yep, and you can tell even with like there's a like the sparring fight between uh, Shatterstar and Warpath is one, two, three, four, five, six. It's six pages long. Yeah, and when you're already reducing the number of pages by four in this issue. Like that's a a chunk of your book there is just the sparring session, which and most of these pages have four panels at most. Like they yeah. they're just really large panels. So there's a this whole issue is just kind of a big a big uh, filler issue. Yeah, we we do get another new character too uh, with Toad's Brotherhood. Um, I think it was just it was just Toad Blob and Sauron last issue, despite the cover showing the whole team. And now we see that uh Pyro Pyro's with this team. Oh yeah. He just magically appears. Yeah, we're uh, we're introduced to a, a brand new character who's a member of this brotherhood called Fantasia. Right. This is something that like I always like really didn't like about like you know how we said how they're introducing so many new characters. I always thought that because she was part of like the brotherhood that maybe she was like some character that had like been around for a long time. Because like why else would she be hanging out with them? But no, she's just kind of introduced with uh, no explanation whatsoever. She's just. Another big with energy powers. I thought this is Soren's wife. Oh, no. yeah, no, this is. Act- I think she was killed, like to 
to turn Lycos back into Sauron at the last issue. Oh, um, I this thought is a, that, okay, this is a brand yeah. new character, because I thought that um, Carl turned into Sauron, and she turned into this Fantasia, and that's why she just kind of appeared there. No. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. no, she was actually, um, she, she actually was Sauron's, like, longtime girlfriend, too. Like, she was in, I believe, those original uh, Neil Adams issues from the 60s, so they, okay. they killed off that character, huh. and this is somebody brand new. And I remember, too, she was on a lot of uh, trading cards and, like, uh, merchandise and things like that. So it always made me think that she was, like, a bigger deal than the character actually was. Because I don't think she ever appears again outside of, like, like a couple other Brotherhood stories that came out around this time. But, yeah, it's just it's just weird. Yeah. And it's a very Liefeld-esque character design. Like, there's no body. She's just, like, a floating head with a mask <laughs> and a cape. So it's yeah. like it's a very easy way to get her out of anatomy and stuff. But yeah. <laughs> On page 221, it is uh, close to the end of this issue. There's a great team shot of, uh, of of the main X-Force team. That's what I think Rob does really best is, is great team poses. Yeah, and I think that was, I'm almost positive that image was used for uh, some promotional material and some trading yeah. cards. I wouldn't be surprised. It's actually yeah. quite good. <laughs> And then yep. the, the panel right beside it, to the right of it, is a giant exclamation point. <laughs> so I think that's cool too. But uh, yeah, other than that, the 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 layouts are just not as inspired as the earlier issues. Sorry, did I? I think I might have jumped ahead. Yeah, I'm in X Force uh, number seven it, now. Is that where we are? Okay. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter because this is all. Just, <laughs> this is another one where it's just like three straight <laughs> issues. Okay. Sorry, that pinup that I'm talking about, the team, the team one on page two twenty seven. That's in a, a issue number seven. So seven. Okay. Shall we move on to issue number seven? Oh, X Force number seven is under the knife, and there's another backup strip at the end called extenuating circumstances. So we'll talk about under the knife first. It's more fighting. Uh, the Brotherhood's fighting X-Force. And then this is kind of where the book, I think, starts to lose some of its original appeal, too, because it's X-Force are just at their base doing nothing, and then somebody else attacks them. So it kind of goes against the whole proactive thing. Mm-hmm. Kind of sad that they gave up on that premise so so early. Toad, for some reason, has slime powers now. I was going to ask about that, yeah. Which is weird, because this actually, uh, when they finally come out with the x-men movie in 2000 uh toad has those powers there so that's uh, i guess one of liefeld's lasting legacies with uh with this character <laughs> yes he gave us deadpool domino and toad's new powers yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um i i wonder too why like uh because mask of the morlocks um he's like a long time x-men villain it just seems like really stupid that he's going after X Force because he's he doesn't have like combat related powers. Yeah, and it's yeah. like what? <laughs> uh, and half of this issue is a fight in the dark, and we were talking about how a lot of this is filler, and you think assistance and like the backgrounds are blank. Well, now we also don't yeah. have to fill in the details of the people; they're basically just silhouettes. I wonder. I mean, it looks cool. It's a neat, a neat uh, kind of concept. But was it done because they needed to rush this uh, this book out? Yeah, I mean, I'm calling them like I see them. I, I mean, I uh, I think this is definitely rushed because a lot of it too is just like it's not really what like a fight in the dark would look like. It's no. like we just see the characters are in in silhouettes, but we see their eyes. Only some of them, their costumes are still lit 
They're yes. on blank backgrounds. Too, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm calling a spade a spade on that one. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, I I will say though that I do like his Sauron. I think he draws a really cool pterodactyl. Oh yeah, definitely. It's hard. It's hard to mess up Sauron. Sauron is just one of those characters who always looks awesome. And then speaking of Sauron too, we have uh, more in the uh, the trials and tribulations of poor Cannonball here. He gets killed by Sauron uh, at the end of this issue. He gets gutted. Kind of brutal. So yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, what'd you think about this fight here? I thought that it was a little hard to read. Um, this last panel, I actually, if it weren't for Boom Boom saying he's not breathing, he's dead, I actually wouldn't know yeah. that that's the case. Yeah, because it's not like that juggernaut um, thing before where you saw like the blood coming out, even though you didn't actually see it. Like It's just kind of like this weird close-up, and all of a sudden he's yeah. laying down. Or really like know what happened. when Feral ripped into him. I could definitely tell yeah. what was going on there, but I think there's like yeah. there's the uh, the sound effect, the screaming sound effect that obscures a lot of that picture. Yep. And the picture is all in red, and it's just a weird angle. It's like the back and like one of Cannonball's butt cheeks, I think, is in this picture, and you can't <laughs> yeah. even tell what exactly is what 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 we're seeing. So, right. the dialogue was definitely necessary <laughs> for that one. Yeah, speaking of the dialogue too, um, I noticed like there's there's a few things I wanted to point out as we go through here, but like there's just this really really over the top like uh, cheesy action movie dialogue. Well, this is the '90s, the the <laughs> era of cheesy action movies. C- Cable uh, actually calls a uh, mask a walking autopsy, and I was just <laughs> like, <"Ugh." laughs> like yes. yeah. So I wanted to point that out. That's awesome. <laughs> And then there's a, there's a backup strip here, too. Not really too much to say about that. We're just kind of following Kane around again. In Vancouver. Yeah, in Vancouver. Oh, there sorry. It's actually five, 65 miles north of Vancouver. So it's oh, it's okay. in the middle of, of British Columbia. So it's actually you not take near. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he goes down for a day trip every once in a while. Yeah, yeah and he encounters uh, Strife's uh, Mutant Liberation Front. I guess it's worth mentioning, too. We, we kind of checked up on Strife in a before this issue just to kind of see what he's been up to he's just kind of monitoring what's been going on with with uh x-force yeah and that leads us into the next issue which actually happens to be a fill-in issue so if if uh, they weren't keeping up on deadlines before they certainly skipped over them for this one because we have a a not in continuity issue talking about cables past which is interesting it, because we don't know anything about Cable's past, so we get to see him and his group called the Wild Pack uh, taking on a mission. And GW Bridge is there. He's on the Wild Pack team, which I think that's a surprise to us because we didn't know what the relation was. And Domino's there, and also this big guy named Grizzly and a couple other guys that don't matter. Um, and Kane, right? Is that Kane? Yeah, Kane is here yep. too. So this is actually a very revealing issue because we learn a lot of things about just about Cable. Uh, he makes a couple of comments. What cent- Like someone says to him, what century are you from? And then Cable says, what century aren't I from? Yeah. <laughs> so little things like that. Um, and then Bridge says to Grizzly, uh, don't do what you did in Madagascar, which we have no idea what that means either. So there's just a, there's another example of Fabian just kind of sticking things in the dialogue that... Uh, that he can revisit at another time. Yeah, and this was um this was actually my favorite issue in uh in the entire collection. 
And usually, you know, when you get to fill in issues, you're like, oh, a fill in issue. But this one is by Mike Mignola. So it's yep. like, oh, hallelujah. Like, <laughs> it's really cool. He's one of the weirdest, like, stylized kind of artists out there. And uh, you'll know him from uh, Hellboy, which he achieved, uh, you know, great success with. Yes. I believe this is actually his, the last thing he ever did for Marvel was this, was this issue. Okay. Somebody might correct me on that, but if it isn't his last, it's, it's close to it. So it's, it's just kind of cool seeing him draw like the Marvel institutions, like the AIM soldiers and Hydra and those kind of guys. Yeah. He's got a great style. Yeah. And you see him, um, this is where it's confirmed that, uh, yeah, cables from the future. They never mentioned that before. And uh, so it's kind of hinted at that he came back in time to mentor Sam, uh, Sam Guthrie Cannonball, who's something called a High Lord. So we don't really know what a High Lord is, but Cannonball died at the end of the last issue. So this kind of <laughs> like a flashback, flash forward, whatever you want to call it to tie into that. They did a good job of making this issue, this fill-in issue, relevant to the actual yes. story. Now, it came at a weird point because Sam had just died, and now we have to have this issue. Like, if we're if you're reading this these a month at a time, we really wanted to know what happened to Sam, and we, we don't. I, I'm not too sure that I'm, I agree with the way that they told the story. Sam dies, and then the next issue we find out that Sam is eternal like he he can't be killed i would have rather him just kind of wake up on the table and I'm like what the heck how did you do that <laughs> yeah. i'd be surprised at that but now because of this issue and we know that he's gonna he's not really died dead because this is a comic book right but but yeah, um right. because of this issue we know that everything that happened in the last issue is not a shock anymore yeah it's uh it, it's definitely it's, it's definitely different but I can almost forgive it just because I was kind of getting tired of like the, a lot of repetitive, you know, kind of issues. Like we just went through, we went through one three issue fight scene and now there's another one. So it's kind of just nice <laughs> yeah. to get up from that. Yeah, that's true. And I do, I do like the wild pack. And for those of you who are familiar with the silver sable wild pack, um, this is a different one. Right. They, they do address that like later on, I think, um, where they said that like uh, Silver Sable Incorporated put like a cease and desist on them, <laughs> so <laughs> they, so they became uh they became the six pack instead, and you'll see various incarnations of the six pack show up throughout the years in Marvel. Nice. We got a uh, X Force number nine, Underground and Over the Top, and then another Extenuating Circumstances backup strip. And uh, I don't believe Liefeld is on art for this one. Like his con his contributions are are lessening in uh in these later issues. No, um, he's still he is still the artist on this one. He is yes. Okay. Um, it, it, it does get kind of hard to tell because yeah. you know, like like before they he had a lot of help, but they didn't credit the uh his assistant. So yeah, yeah but he's still okay. in the credits here. I know they're all they're going for this Gilligan's Island theme in the credits. Um, in this issue, <laughs> so you don't really know who's doing what, but I mean, there's no other penciler listed in this list of credits. Yeah, like, but like a lot of these panels, though, like even that very first panel, like, yeah, it has kind of Liefeld's like anatomy and proportions, but that's that's not really his rendering, you know. So, like, right. you almost wonder like how much he's really involved at this stage. Yeah, he must have done like the really really rough 
breakdowns and layouts and that's it and left everybody else to fill it in because yeah if you look at it page by page each page has its own inking style yeah Um, there isn't a consistency through it at all definitely done by a, a, a few different people i think mark pasella was probably involved with this issue because he kind of takes over after liefeld leaves and a lot of these panels look like his work so i don't know you know the extent of the contributions but that's just an educated guess on my part he didn't mention that in the interview but he does talk about starting on this one and just uh kind of refining his style to be more like rob so let me play a clip of mark talking it was a bob harris that brought you in on on the title yes yes bob brought me in and uh because I had done something, what the hell, I, I did something where I adapted Rob's style. I can't remember what the job was, but they, they were really impressed by that. They liked that a lot. They said, and they said Rob was leaving, they need something to fill, fill the spot without making, you know, I guess I was transitional. I was a way, good way of not shocking, the, not shocking the crowd. And I think that's what it was. And I said, no, no, I, I definitely, you know, I figured out how to do what he was doing to a certain extent. But make it, of course, showing it my way. Some people, some of my old friends, my old artist friends, go, "What are you doing? You're selling out." I go, "No, no." I, I go, "It's fun to adapt styles." I go, "I don't mind it." You know, I like Jeff Jones, I like Kaluta, I like Frazetta. You know, I, I like to, you know, I like who I am too. But what's part of the road to travel on is being able to put those different shoes on once in a while. And 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 whenever I talk to kids uh, or young people or adults, I teach classes, whatever once in a while, I, I always say, find an artist you like, find an artist you like, and emulate that person. I go, you're not going to be that person. Believe me, as hard as much as you'd like to be, think you're going to become that person. You're not going to be that person, but you're going to learn a tremendous amount of skills by trying to emulate that person, fit in their shoes, because they have they have gotten there. Okay, have you given us the? episode description of this one yet no but there's really not too much to say here it's it's, uh, it's another big fight between um the brotherhood and x-force and uh one thing too is that um feral's sister uh thorn uh she's with this brotherhood so that was kind of she was kind of added to to this team too and she looks completely different than what she did in some of the previous issues <laughs> like she kind of looks like feral but now she's wearing like weird like gold like body armor which doesn't really make sense for the character she's supposed to be like a cat like tigra wolfsbane feral type so i just i thought that was an odd choice yeah very strange and she's wearing like rob really likes these masks that are like boxing masks <laughs> yes he does or um shadow star is has it, the uh, same one like fe- fencing it's i think it's like a fencing helmet isn't oh, is it, it? Like yeah. a... oh that would make sense with what uh because shadow star is wearing one too yeah, <laughs> it's more for for sword fighting or something. I really don't like if you look at um like page two sixty seven, uh the blob's head. Liefeld just draws. <laughs> it's so off model. It's like he's a giant thumb with like a face drawn on it. And I just uh, yep. just it looks too. <laughs> it's it's different for Rob, but if Todd McFarlane were drawing that, it looks like something Todd would do. Yeah, yeah. Which is weird because I think Liefeld drew the blob in some of uh, his New Mutants issues, and he looked pretty much on model to how you'd seen him before. So it's just a weird style choice that I just, yeah, I don't like. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the two page spread on two seventy four two seventy five because Talon rips uh, like shreds part of Cable's face, and we get to see that he's like robot underneath. 
(laughs) And the rest of the team is very, very casual about this. Like, they don't make a big deal about it at all. (laughs) But no, this guy's like, he's a machine under, under his skin. And they don't seem to notice. Yeah, and it's weird that 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 warranted a double-page sideways spread. I thought that was a little too excessive. Like, that was (laughs) actually an image that warranted that. Yeah, and maybe like there's some gutter loss in this book, so I can't really see a whole lot of the image. Um, Like, the the face itself was kind of squashed. But this was a big mystery, right? We didn't know anything about Cable having metal under his skin before this, right? No, no. We, We knew he had the metal arm. Yeah, but um, I remember that this was pretty controversial at the time, because uh, I I'm I think I was like pretty much up to date with like reading the actual stuff as it came out at this point, and I remember a lot of people didn't like it because they thought it was like a ripoff of uh, Terminator Two, which was really popular at the totally, time. Totally, yeah. You kind of get that from Liefeld too, like you know we got uh we've got High Lords running around that uh you know it's kind of like the Highlander movies, the the Eternals and stuff were really popular at that point in time, so. <laughs> You right. can you can kind of tell what his influences are. Yeah, I just remember like the letters pages in X Force were saying like bring back the old cable, like huh. the old cable. He's been around for like a year. <laughs> <laughs> we already have an old. <laughs> so. Uh, so this there's the extenuating circumstances part two. Uh, Pacella is credited in this one, um, so it's it's entirely possible and probably I would even say probable that he was involved in the in the main issue as well. Yeah. And in this one, Kane tries to beat up all of the mutant liberation front guys and, and uh, ends up being uh, coming face to face with strife. And they're going to have a little talk. They're going to sit down and have some tea, I think. (laughs) Yeah, that would, that would, that would make sense with what's going on so far, but somehow I think that you might be off on that one, Curtis. (laughs) um, It's worth mentioning too, that Shatterstar actually kills mask. Uh, with his sword, and then Cable kills Sauron. Right. So, yeah, and then Sam actually gets back up, Cannonball, uh, and he's alive and well now. So something about that uh, High Lord prophecy came true. Yeah, I think you mentioned this before. The story kind of bogs down at this point. Yeah, there are just too many, too many different groups that are after them. All of a sudden, in this one issue, it's the Morlocks, and it's the Brotherhood, and also, Kane and uh, Strife the, and the MLF are looking for them. And GW Bridge is kind of on their case a lot of the time. <laughs> it's like um, they have a bunch of different problems. And, and it's just and too... Tolliver are still out there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, with uh, Tolliver. And so there's just there's too many. There are too many great ideas that are being forced into a small space and none of them are allowed to breathe. Yeah. It's worth mentioning, like, we really don't see the Mutant Liberation Front a lot here. And they were kind of positioned in the first issue as being, like, the opposites of X-Force. And I thought they could have got a little bit more out of that idea because um, they're supposed to... I don't know how well it comes off in this volume, but they're all supposed to be the same age. Like, they're supposed to be teenagers that are, like, you know, as opposed (laughs) to being by Cable, they were corrupted by Strife. So, like, there's, there's interesting directions that you can go with that. But unfortunately... Outside of that first issue, they're they're not really going head to head with X Force in no. you know in any of these. Well, the next issue actually opens with the third part of extenuating circumstances, which I found was an interesting choice. Why not just make that uh, the main story? But uh, in this one, 
Strife reveals himself to Cain, like he takes off his helmet and reveals that he is actually, um, not that he says that he's, he doesn't say that he's Cable, but Cain uh, infers that he's Cable, and Strife kind of lets him go along with that misconception to try and uh, ruin Cable's good name, because yeah. Cable has a great name, right? <laughs> and then the rest of the uh, the rest of the issue is called Answers and Questions, and there aren't really a whole lot of answers, and they do ask a few new questions, um, but they they talk about High Lords, and they explain kind of that situation with Sam. And that's kind of it for this issue. Mark Pasella is on full pencils now, and he yeah, he does a, he has a style that's different than Rob's, but you can tell that he's trying his best to, to do a Rob Liefeld type of, uh, of an issue here. Yeah. With, uh, with the, the image Exodus is, you know, in full swing now. Um, so they want to, you know, try to keep the book looking stylistically as similar as, as they can. I mean, if you look what happened in, uh, X-Men, like when they brought in Andy Kubert, like our early Andy Kubert was like, you know, trying to be like a, like a Jim Lee clone. So right. you know, they're trying to just kind of keep with the overall style of the book. But I did find it was very, um, you mentioned how like the A and the B plot were kind of um, starting off at the same time. I found it really confusing just the way that a lot of these panels were laid out. Like they're, they're almost like kind of overlapped to look like they're like the same story. But then I realized it was like two different things going on. Yeah, it is very interesting, very confusing this first part. And it's even confusing because we're introduced to a whole new group of characters now too. these uh, eternal high lords with yes. uh, with Gideon. There's more than one of of uh, Gideon's people, so we've got like five more guys that are introduced. I thought that was a the, the one thing I really like about this story is that Gideon has been thinking this whole time that Sunspot is a high lord, and has been working and forming this relationship to kind of get on Sunspot's good side and, and so that he can kind of prime prep him for being a high lord. But then he finds out he's not a high lord. Um, so all of that that was a nice twist. I liked that part of the story. Yeah, I, I like that too. And then um, there, there actually is a little bit of a characterization for Cannonball, where he kind of, uh, you know, he's like this uh, this country boy from Kentucky, and now like discovers that he's immortal. And like the first thing he thinks about is like, well, you know, what's my mom gonna think about this? So, <laughs> yeah, it's something. <laughs> yeah, it's it's nice that they kind of did something with Cannonball here because he's kind of been a nothing character for a long time. Uh, yeah, he started out really nice with New Mutants, but he was always just the good guy and kind of just took the back seat to some of these other more interesting characters. Bonus points for trying something new. Um, yeah. Fabian in his interview told me that he did not like the High Lord situation at all, so it goes away pretty quick once Rob Rob Liefeld is off of the book. Yeah, and then we also get some more new characters. So uh, GW Bridge has a team called Weapon Prime. So it's another team of people that are going after Cable and X-Force <laughs> yeah. because of uh, the trouble they've gotten into with oh, S.H.I.E.L.D. And Richter is back. Yeah, Richter, because Richter believes that uh, that Cable killed his father. And, like, you know, we kind of can figure out that it was Strife because, you know, they share the same face. So that's why he left the New Mutants, you know, like a year or so before this. So he finds out that people are going after Cable, and he wants in on that. And I love this little tease. Deadpool is at the very last page of this issue and, and just makes some vague references to 
or I guess it's not. She he calls her by name. He says that Domino's a traitor. So that's a nice little twist as well. Like I think they do well with their with their cliffhangers and stringing you along with enough interesting story to keep you going. Yeah, there was so much, you know, like we said before, like so much mystery in in the X-Men books because that's what the fans just ate up at the time. Like we we loved our mysteries. We, you know, not not all of them got solved. A lot of them <laughs> dragged on for a really long time, but you know, it it was fun in the moment. Yeah. Okay, so up next, uh we have a little break. Uh this is X-Force Annual number 1 from 1992. Uh, the Mirror Liars, which is uh, part of an annual crossover called Shattershot. This is part four. And then uh, there's a couple backstories in, uh, after this. Um, but as far as the main story, I don't know about you, but I was just getting really tired at this point. And like we're, in, <laughs> we're just in another... Th- th- this is completely divorced from like the main X-Force story. Yeah, it's, it's out of time, in fact, as well. It's a future story. It's in the future in Shatterstar has like I guess Mojo's been overthrown and now Shatterstar is like the new leader of Mojo World, but he's becoming a tyrant himself. And we have like a bunch of different like future versions of X Force and some old New Mutants characters and a lot more like nameless like soldiers and stuff running around. And yeah, I was just I was kinda just getting a little bored <laughs> with all the stuff. It took me a few different sittings to get through this issue. Um I didn't care for it. And I think, though, my opinion would be different if I had read the first four parts of this story, which are yeah. not included in this book. Maybe, maybe not, because I, I know that actually um, Fabian Nicias has gone on record as like like stating that this was like the worst thing that like he ever wrote. <laughs> so <it's, laughs> okay. Yeah, a lot, wow. a lot of annuals by this point were just like they're just kind of thrown together. Like we don't really get quality annuals like in the nineties, like we did in the eighties, like when the eighties, when it was like a special event nineties, it's more just, they tried to make them all special events. The Epic collection does give a little bit of a synopsis uh, of the first three parts to get you kind of up to speed. But also the way that they kind of did these stories is that they all were connected, but they could all be enjoyed separately as well. Yes. Yeah. It's not true crossover yeah i don't know how much of the first three chapters actually play into this chapter at all but it still didn't really hold my interest now the interesting thing here is that we get um greg capullo on art and he eventually will take over x-force so we get this is kind of his first shot at x-force probably before he knew he was going to be on the book he's not quite greg capullo yet but you see some flashes where where you, you kind of see what he eventually becomes. I know he was actually doing Quasar at this point, and uh, so this is probably just a little side gig for him. Oh, yeah. And I found it very odd that like um, the backup strip featured uh, WizKid, Artie, and Leech from, uh, was that, I believe, Exterminators? Yeah, I loved this, this story. I thought this was great, and it was nice to see these characters again because they were all through, they, they kind of, they popped up through the, the New Mutants and X-Factor. Yeah. I think they were X-Factor characters for a long time. Yeah, because X-Force was all about, like, out with the old and with the new. And, like, I can't imagine, like, anybody that was, like, reading X-Force that would, like... <laughs> Care about these characters? Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just so oddly placed. Like, this is almost like, uh, you know, like a New Mutants annual or something that came out after New Mutants was gone. So it's just, just yeah. really weird. Could be. I enjoyed it, though. I thought it was a nice breath of fresh air through this whole 
the whole thing. Um, I called the twist at the end with the boyfriend right at the beginning. I knew that oh. was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Then you turn the page and you have a really cool pinup by Bill Sienkiewicz um, of, I guess, Feral howling at the moon or something. It looks really awesome. Um, and a little short story written by Dan Slott. Just Cable quizzing his team on all of the villains that they've met in the previous issues so far. Yeah, and then uh, one of uh, the villains is actually the X-Men. So it's kind of of interesting to see if they consider the X-Men a threat to their ideology. A little bit of a foreshadow to something that's going to come up in (laughs) the next volume. Yep. You, you you saw you saw stuff like this um, a lot in annuals around the time where it was kind of basically just like a pinup gallery, like disguised as a story. Yeah, you know, show you like who are our top ten villains or who's our top ten allies. Like I think like every annual from what is this nineteen ninety two? I think yeah, like they all did this to to an extent. Yeah, well, they have to fill out a page count, and you know, we only have four pages. What can you do in four pages? Well, I can't tell a <laughs> yep. story, so I'm going to do this. You know what, though? Like, when I was a kid, like, I actually liked these because it was, like, a place that I could have all the characters that I knew from, like, my cards and whatever all in one place, like, to look oh, right. at. Yeah. You know? It was a place to teach you who these characters were and stuff like that, yeah, too. And exactly. um, in a time when you couldn't just Google these characters and find out right. their complete 50-year history. Ancient history. Yeah. Let's move along to X-Force number 11. And this one's called Friendly Reminders. And I love the way this one opens. Rob Liefeld is still credited on plots, but I believe at this point he's gone, like gone, gone. But they're still working off of his stories. And But this one opens with Cable and a few of the X-Force going down into the Morlock tunnels with Mask's bloody, wrecked up cape saying uh, and, and Sauron's dead body <laughs> and, and saying um don't come near us again guys we're warning you <laughs> i thought that was just a yeah. that was that's the x-force from the first issue that we haven't seen in a while um going in there and you know warning people about this and then this is a deadpool issue deadpool comes in and has a a, a little conversation with domino um a few fists fly but they talk it out in the end and uh, we don't really know. They're very vague in the conversation here about what's going on. And I like the way they do that. We know that Domino's working for Tolliver and is a spy and like feeding them information. But we don't know to what extent or how Deadpool, like what Tolliver is holding over her or anything like that. We certainly don't know the twist that's going to come up in the next couple issues. So I like the way that this is played out. Mark Pacella again doing more uh, of the art and a good fight scene between Domino and Deadpool. It, it, this was an enjoyable issue. I like these last few issues in this collection. I thought they were really good. Yeah, you, you can kind of feel they're, they're picking up the pace a bit as far as like, uh, you know, chugging these plots along. Like they're starting to wrap up a lot a lot of the stuff that was like, you know, now that Liefeld's kind of with, with his foot halfway out the door. Yeah. Well, and Fabian Nicieza is a great writer. And at this time, he's writing like six books or something like that like he's got a ridiculous amount of stuff on his plate so but i i'm sure that he was like at last rob is is i don't have to be (laughs) uh, held to his plots i can actually go at a pace that i want to go i feel like the morlocks and the the brotherhood like all of that coming together like how we were talking how it was so squished it was kind of fabian 
get tying up all of those things as quickly as he could, um, yeah. squishing them all together so that he can now be free to move at his own pace. And we can tell the pacing is different as soon as this issue starts here. Yeah, I found it weird. Like I, I mentioned in that Wolverine issue, like kind of how strange the Morlocks are treated like after the 80s. And like in this issue, I, I always thought that they lived in the sewers, but the way it's drawn, it's like it's in subterranea or something because they're going <laughs> right. down like this enormous cliff and like uh, there's this, they're very weird looking Morlocks. Yeah, it's like they've uh, entered um, the Mole Man's monster <laughs> island. It, it, re it really does. I like so. Yeah, it's just kind of odd. Again, the Morlocks are just in they're all over the place, like after Mutant Massacre. So it's more of the same here, I guess. But um, Domino is actually uh, revealed at the end of this issue, though, because we see that he uh, that Tolliver has like the real Domino imprisoned. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I always just kind of a weird, a weird thing, because we don't really have much of a reason to care about Domino so far. She's she's a character that's only been around for like a year. And, you know, we, I mean, we really haven't seen too much like, you know, of her history or personality or anything like that. So it's all of a sudden revealed that the character that we didn't have much of an attachment to wasn't the real character and it was somebody else. So just kind of strange. <laughs> but I wonder if that, I don't know if that was like, a, if that was Nisieza or, or one of Liefeld's plots. But yeah, just another, another X Men mystery of the early 90s. Um, I think Fabian credits um rob with that idea he also did things that most people wouldn't have the guts to do he did things that most people wouldn't have the balls to do you know introducing domino in issue 98 of, of, of new mutants and then a year later showing that the character you think has been domino all along has been a replacement yeah uh, that, that that caught me completely out of left field I, mean, <laughs> I never knew that um, whether he came up with that after the fact or whether he had that in mind from the very beginning doesn't make a difference because it's a great idea it's a great trick it's a great bit you know it's wonderful sleight of hand for a monthly book that you need to be able to do okay because you, you never see her like because usually when you know when they do a story like that in comics like you'll kind of see the uh the phony character like acting up before that but we really only saw that like in the in the issue directly before this one right you know it's not like there was like a long uh, laundry list of like you know misdeeds on the fake dominoes part so just just strange mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i want to play a little clip of mark pasella talking about his art in these early issues here so when i drew x-force i drew every page as a full bleed oh really the original the original couple pages on every one of those are full bleeds oh wow that means they go every, all work was right the page yeah i remember having a big argument with Bob Harris, Mark, we can't do this. I go, well, why not? It costs more money. I go, what do you mean it costs more? So they would, they would put tape of the artwork on the very bottom to shear it up so it would fit inside the printed format of where it had to be inside those, those lines. And the reason was, he said, because it costs more money to do the full bleeds. And I'm like, Bob, I go, these books are selling in the millions. <laughs> I go, how much does it cost, really, to go a full bleed? Is it really that much money? I mean, of course it wasn't. And I think I, I got away with, a, I, they let me get away with a lot more of it than I, you know, again, they, once in a while they, they would go in there and have to shear up the tape, whatever, but once in a while yeah. I go, please, let that be a bleed, let that be a bleed, let it be a bleed. It's, the drawing is so big, it can't be contained. It's gotta go off the page. 
And so I go in there and I'd argue with them with, on that one. And uh, so all those X-Forces were drawn to be full bleeds, like crazy me that I was. I wanted everything. I, I'm like, I wanted, I'm seeing things so big in my mind that I wanted it to be jumping out of the book. So an example of this is page 370, where Deadpool is punching Shatterstar in the gut. And you can just imagine the, the, the tape marks along the side here. Oh, wow. Yeah, definitely. Especially because Shatterstar's fingers are cut off of that panel right on the end there. So uh, huh. he says that happened throughout the year, and he said that they let him get away with a few of the a few of that. The next issue, or one of the issues in here, has a lot of full bleed. So he got away with it for one issue, and then the rest of it, <laughs> masking tape. Yeah. Okay, so uh, up next we've got uh, X-Force number 12, Externals, a prologue, Traitors to the Cause. And this is the last issue that Liefeld was given a credit on. So it's kind of the end of an era here, you know, 12, 12 issues, one year in to X-Force. And um, the team use uh, the fake domino to uh, set a trap for Caliber to kind of flush out this guy, figure out what his deal is. And um, the team Weapon Prime, uh, we see that they're going to be uh, going after X-Force and uh, Grizzly joins them. Grizzly, we've seen in uh, Cable's past, he was part of the six-pack slash wild-pack. It's kind of weird because they are this Weapon Prime team already has uh, a Wendigo. They kind of alternate between calling it a Wendigo and a Yeti, so it's like very <laughs> similar, very similar characters. So that's that's an odd choice. And uh, Gideon, yeah, Gideon gets rid of Sunspot here. So yeah, we're kind of we're definitely picking up the pace a lot. There's a there's a lot of stuff going on. This issue has one of my favorite shots. The very last page of the issue. You just get a close-up of Cable's cheek, and the reflection on the metal part of his cheek has uh, his whole team <laughs> reflected there, kind of the heads. It's um, it's kind of odd, and like there's a uh, this mouth has way too many teeth for an actual human mouth. Um, but it's a, I like the idea of it. I think it's a cool image. It it is worth mentioning too that we're seeing a lot of pages of uh, like just full faces as splashes. Which yeah. usually you think like flash page should be action. So I mean, I think it's obviously they're, you know, they're probably pretty rushed at this point, like filling in for Liefeld or, or whatever. Yeah, but I could actually just, play a clip of Mark talking about coming into this book already being extremely behind schedule. X for I love it. Exorcist was a lot of fun because the moment I got in the office, the first thing he goes, the book is very late. I go, how late? He goes, oh, about three weeks late. I go, so how much time do I have? He's been. Yeah, literally, because literally, you can, you can do the book in a week. I said, a week? Oh, boy. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I hit the ground running like crazy on that one. And wow. uh, we were, I was banging on that sofa, no sleep, no lots of coffee. I'd walk around the room at, I don't know what time of day it would be, but I'd look around and try to find cups of coffee that the coffee hadn't had green fuzz on it yet and drink out of it <laughs> and go back to the board. Um, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> that big grizzly face. Yeah, it's like that's that's that that does not warrant a splash page. Not we don't really know who the guy is. It's just they're having a conversation with uh, Weapon Prime on one page. The next page, it's a huge, huge splash page, extreme close up of a guy's face that we've only seen once or twice drawn by a different artist before. So there are a lot of shortcuts in this one issue because I think Mark Pasella was definitely playing catch up. If you go to page four hundred and five, um, there is a triple panel of Gideon punching Roberto off panel 
but then they just reuse that same panel and kind of go closer up and closer up. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's little cheats like that throughout this this uh, issue here. They have a che- cheesy dialogue alert. Okay. There's a scene where Farrell calls uh, Boom Boom a peroxide forest in this <laughs> issue. I'm like, what the heck is that? <laughs> like, I've never... I've heard of peroxide used as a derogatory term against blondes, but not peroxide forest. That was an odd one. That's so funny. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is the nineties. I love yeah. it. Okay, continuing along to X Force number thirteen, um, we are building up to this fight between. Oh, it's called "Everything Hits the Fan," because we can't swear in Marvel comics, so they have to alter that <laughs> uh, that one there. But. Um, we're we're building up to this big fight between X Force and Weapon Prime. Um, so the first two pages, the the first big two page spread with Weapon Prime, and then you turn the page and there's a two page spread with, of X Force. This is actually a four page spread. You can butt these two pages up together, but of course anyone who bought the comic couldn't do that because one of the pages is actually printed on the other side of the, one of the others. So you could never actually see the four issues together unless you bought two copies of this book. Um, fortunately for us, it's included at the back of uh, this issue. Um, you can see the four pages put together, or at the back of the of this epic collection. Yeah, that was cool that they that they added that in. And um, yeah, this is just kind of a another another really big big fight scene between uh between X Force and another brand new team. Yep, it's a big it's a big one. And Gideon is still kicking around. I'm surprised to see that he's still um, still trying to be part of this book, but he makes a little appearance in here um, and is uh, torturing Roberto. Poor Roberto's going through a whole lot here, and he hasn't <laughs> done anything to warrant it. No. Th- this is kind of a turning point, though, because in, in this issue, X-Force's base explodes, and then Cable's separated from the team. Yes, so we, we kind of get the uh, we're going to get the opportunity to see uh, the former New Mutants, now X Force characters, kind of acting on their own. And this is uh, leading up to him getting his own title, because he was quite popular. I think he sticks Cable sticks around for does he he plays a role in Executioner Song? Um, yeah, beautiful. Yep, and then he disappears and goes off on his own adventures for a little while, uh, and has his own title. So this is this is a neat thing. It's uh, something that Fabian, I'm sure, wanted to do was to get back to to the team book because we this is sort of an element that has been missing, is the teamwork and uh, learning to just be with each other and and cope with each other. So yeah, I think Fabian has has more of a he he, I, he has more of a love for I think some of these new mutants characters because you can already see the wheels in motion. You know, bringing Richter back into the fold, bringing Sunspot. Back into the fold. Yeah, you know, and kind of putting the focus back on the kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Farrell kind of takes starts taking the back seat. And Warpath. Yeah. Um, like he doesn't he hasn't done anything for the past few issues. Warpath has been very very benched, I guess. Yeah, he's he's been he's been extremely ill defined as a character. I think like I don't even remember which issue it was in, but the only thing we've really seen him do, do so far, like on his own, was there was like a oh like a two page spread with him like just uh talking about vengeance you know against his, the people that uh went after his people and yeah you know, and that, that was really it so he's yeah. he's very much a blank slate at this stage 
Okay, well, let's keep chugging along to X-Force number 14, Payback. And uh, we have Terry Shoemaker on artwork for this one. And uh, Shoemaker did a lot of kind of random filling stuff for Marvel around this time. Not the flashiest artist, but he definitely has his basics down. So it's kind of cool to see that. We see Cable. Uh, Cable goes to his base, which is called Gray Malkin. And that's actually a very interesting name. Uh, so we're dropping more hints. Do you know why, like, uh, where Gray Malkin stands in X-Men lore? Uh, no, I don't. Why don't you fill me in? It's actually the road that uh, the Xavier Institute is on. Um, I don't remember oh, the exact right. number, but something, something, that. Ray Malkin Lane. Yeah, so Cable has some kind of ties to the X-Men because in that uh, the Mike Mignola issue, he, when he went to the future, he had robots named uh, Gene, Scott, Hank, Warren. Right, right, yeah. Uh, any any X-Men fan will know. Uh, you know, that's, those are the original X-Men's real names. So he's, he's got some ties to the X-Men. We don't know what they are yet, but there's these aren't just random names. And then checking in on X-Force, they're now fugitives because um, I believe they stole from S.H.I.E.L.D. And uh, Richter rejoins the team. And one of the externals, Cruel, who actually did get an action figure back in those early X-Force days, (laughs) this character who I don't think ever appeared outside of the storyline, he is sent after X-Force. So what what do you got for this one? Not a whole lot. I, I, I actually did enjoy this issue. I... I liked Terry Shoemaker's pencils a lot, actually. It was nice and clean. Very, I guess, uh, a little bit different than what we've been seeing in the past few issues. Um, because it, it he, he doesn't fall into the 90s extreme traps that the like people like Rob Liefeld defined. Yeah. So it's kind of nice to, to see that one here. I, f- I find that um, Richter kind of reluctantly joins the team he gets saved by cannonball like everybody in the team gets saved by cannonball from the explosion in the last issue including richter even though he's on the opposing side but uh kind of doesn't really know where to where to stand or where any of them stand i this is kind of reminds me of kind of the beginning of new mutants anyway they all band together out of necessity because there's a there's a you know there's there's just something after them that they need to stick together otherwise the separated they'll fall apart so it's nice to see some of those those themes re- returning we also see um the, the fake domino leads cable to uh Tolliver's base and that's where cable finds the real domino which is i guess is a shock to the to the fake one so cable is now up to speed on on what was going on sort of <laughs> sort of up yeah. to speed there's still a lot of questions yeah, so it's, it's another issue where the the Liefeld plots are really getting getting wrapped up quick it's good and in the end um deadpool ends up killing the fake domino so that's yeah an interesting move there yeah um, he shoots her she actually she does stick around though yeah yeah she comes back well she's she yeah. plays an important role in his life later on and uh she's in the movies yep so we gotta gotta expect that she sticks around for a little while. Anyway, How much do you want to bet? Because we're doing this before Deadpool two comes out, I can almost guarantee there's going to be some kind of scene now that there's a domino in the Deadpool movie where they kind of make a reference to this, like they they do a switch to like fool one of the villains or something. Vanessa in the first <laughs> movie is not a shapeshifter, right? So it would be interesting yeah, to find out that she right. actually is a shapeshifter. So we'll see. We'll yeah, see. We will. Okay, final issue here. X-Force number 15 is called uh, To the Pain. 
and Cruel is after Sam Guthrie because Sam is the High Lord. And I guess the High Lords don't really want other High Lords to be around, so um, they sent Cruel to kill Sam. And of course, all the team is going to defend uh, their friend. And meanwhile, Cable versus Deadpool. Is this the first time we've seen them fight, Cable versus Deadpool? In New Mutants number 98, uh, Deadpool's first appearance, I think he's fighting Cable in that. It's been a, oh, yeah. it's been a long time since I read that, so I don't remember off the top of my head. But um, this was the first uh, issue where it was like built up as a big thing. I remember just that cover of uh, Cable and Deadpool, and uh, it, it it definitely commanded a little bit of a higher price on uh, the aftermarket at the time than <laughs> you know the surrounding issues. Yeah, yeah, it's it's good. Now it was and it was a good fight too. I think, uh, and this is the first issue with Greg Capullo, and he yep. is great. I really like his style. He's just very dynamic. The, the The fight scenes are are easy to read, and then the team goes and frees Sunspot. So we have kind of the the whole team is back together again, along with the new people, and they are ready for this next chapter in their life. Um. And we all and yeah. oh, oh yeah, and Cable faces off against. Tolliver like he actually meets Tolliver but the ship they're in explodes so he doesn't really get to know anything about Tolliver um, but there's a mask floating in the water so something is wrong which kind of doesn't make sense to me because Tolliver's been in the shadows the whole time so we've never <laughs> seen his face so why do we care that right. it's a mask not too sure no I, I mean I get it like that's kind of like what I was saying before about Domino you know it's like this this character that we barely know isn't the real version it's like what you know it's like a mystery to cover a mystery yeah. so yeah so it's, <laughs> it's a little weird <laughs> but again we're wrapping up more Liefeld plots so C- Cable fixes his face too so he's got his skin back he's not uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger anymore right I was wondering when and, that was uh, going to happen yeah and X-Force uh, they take um, Warpath's uh, Camp Bird Arizona uh, reservation as their new base we kind of tied everything up in this issue. Um, the team is separated from Cable. They're kind of figuring out things on their own. We've got a new artist, and we're ready for uh, the Executioner song. Actually, starts up after this, uh, which isn't in this volume, but that would be the next issue. Yes, well, and we will cover that when they release that. Hopefully, sooner than later. We've been waiting on a next the announcement for the next X Force volume for a while now. So hopefully, we'll see that coming up early in 2019. Yeah, as of yet, this is the only one to been uh, released or even announced, so who knows what they're going to do next. I read this title pretty much all the way through, because like, I, I, I really like the characters, and um, it, does, it does pick up a lot, like, you know, after this volume. Um, Executioner Song, I think, is a really good crossover, not just for 90s standards, but by, like, any standards. I always like that story. And then, yeah, it just, it kind of just stays steady and as far as quality from, from there on out. Uh, there are a lot of uh, extras at the back of this book. They loaded it with um, Marvel Age articles and a great cartoon by Fred Hembeck, always entertaining. Yep. The coolest thing, I think, in this one is that the X-Force was um, was a bagged first issue. It, it was sealed in a poly bag that had an exclusive trading card inside. Now, most people, I would say, probably haven't seen all of the trading cards because you don't unless you bought multiple issues of X-Force. But all five of them are included in this as special features, and I think that's great because I love the trading cards. Yeah, did you uh, did you have X-Force number one? 
Um, I did not have X Force number one. I did. I I bought it uh, because like I said, I kind of came into comics like a year or so after this. I bought it um at like a flea market or something a little bit later on, and uh, it was still in the poly bag. And I had the uh the Shatter Star card. Nice. That's <laughs> so, a good one to have. Yeah, it, that gimmick was um was used a lot back then. You know, if 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 we can sell one comic. Or, uh, with the million copies, why not just make five of the same comic? <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it worked. It worked yeah, for the it, short term, absolutely. <laughs> um, and we get other trading cards as well. My favorite one here is I really like the Domino card from the 1992 series. Um, Warpath is really cool too. That looks like Mark Texiera. Oh, okay. You mean the actual? Uh, I see. In the, the if you page. flip the page, yeah, there's the the 90, 1992 series Marvel Universe series three. Yeah. Lots of cool stuff in here. I think, I can't remember who said it, the the comment earlier in the episode, but the, if you are a fan of this material, this is an excellent package. Yeah, it's uh, it, it definitely needs, um, you need to kind of look at it through, you know, 1991 eyes. It's it's definitely a product of its time, but uh, as like a, a time capsule of, you know, comic book history, it's, it's, it's definitely interesting. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. And uh, we said we would revisit whether these stories hold up today. And I think that, um, you know, you do, like any comic, you have to go into it understanding the era in which it comes, whether it's 80s or or 60s, and this is no different. Um, but I, I really enjoyed the beginning of this. It slogged a little bit in the middle, but then it picked up at the end, and I um, it ended on a place where I am genuinely interested to see what comes next. Yeah, I, I think as far as, like, the quality and stuff, um, there, there's a lot of good ideas here. Um, you do have to kind of really read between the lines to get some of the context for some of it, because I, like we've said on some of these things, I don't think it's the ideas are developed that well. And, you know, there's a lot of fight scenes like in, in the middle part where, you know, where you kind of said it, it dragged a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it was an interesting premise and the future volumes will kind of, they do a lot more to, to flush out these characters and take them kind of into new directions. Well, I'm glad we, we did it, and I hope that people will give this episode a chance, even if they write off X-Force, <laughs> because yeah. it's still interesting to just learn about the history and hear from the creators. So uh, we'll see how that goes, and we'll have you back again whenever there's a next X-Force book, that's for All sure. Right. So what is the next book that you're going to be joining us for? Uh, next, we're going to take a look at Silver Surfer Thanos Quest. And that would be volume number six of Silver Surfer. So uh, somewhat timely with the popularity of the character right now. And uh, I think that'll be that'll be a fun one to look into. If you want to know the origins of the Infinity Gauntlet, this is the episode for you to watch or to listen to. Yeah, and then definitely check out uh, the interview that Curtis did with uh, with Jim Starlin, too, to give you some background on those characters. I, I listened to that. It was, it was good stuff. Yeah, it was very interesting. What a what a great conversation to talk with uh, such a um, a vital part of Marvel history. Definitely. Anyway, great talking with you, James, and we will. Um, we'll, I'll be looking forward to our Silver Surfer episode. All right, sounds good. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>